This is the one with the Agents of Units. A puppet's recap. A lift off a zingo. And not the first redhead. It's called The Giggle. Well, that's all right then. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hair. Dalek, Cyber, Zood, and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc's past. <laughs> yes, indeed. Doc's very nearly present, very, certainly very recent past. Doc past and Doc present, yeah, okay, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's complicated. It More is, complicated than ever before. It is complicated, but so are we, but who are we? <laughs> podcast land, I am Leon, and across the my, across my dinner table... So it's my fabulous co-host, Drew Backwen. Hello, Drew. Hello, Leon. Why do you have to go and make me so complicated? Alas, it's only the two of us today. For those of you out there in podcast land who were expecting an intercontinental threesome. As we had been. <laughs> As we had been, yes, but uh, sadly, plans changed last minute. Anywho, what are we here to discuss, Drew? N178, The Giggle. <laughs> Before I ask you how you feel about it at high level, yes, and I say this because Podcast Land, we already high-leveled it for one another before we press record, I would like to say something just up front. It has been brought to our attention on Twitter, in iTunes reviews, <laughs> and I think possibly in an email, oh, yeah. that people think we're a, a bit harsh. And that is... Hilarious to me, given that only in the last episode I pointed out to Marie that what another iTunes review says that we just love everything all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, either way, spoiler alert, we're not the biggest fans of this episode. No. But that's not to say that we're not going to provide you with a very nuanced, I'd like to think balanced discussion. Yeah. yeah, we're not happy about it, the things we don't like. We're just continuing to do the same old thing we've always done. Exactly. And I just want to clarify and almost apologize if ever we've given the impression of being haters. That has never been our intention. And if anything, we are lovers <laughs> of this show. Way to make it weird. I know. All right. High level. How do you feel about this? <laughs> oh, really didn't like it. <laughs> Sorry if people were expecting a sugar coating after that very apologetic, caveated intro, but... Yeah. Her. There were bits. Of course there were good bits. There were great that's bits. The yeah, that's the thing, yeah. I guess for, for my side of things... I think some of the parts of this episode, they were completely wonderful, but much of it, unfortunately, was the dog scheisse. And <laughs> I'm not going to get away from that. I, I think we're going to get into it. I've got a lot of questions for you and a lot of bones to pick with this episode. Okay, well, we'll have to do that the other side of a B-scale. Ooh, let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free-for-all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. It's 1925, and John Logie Baird would have invented television already, if only it weren't for the tragic lack of a televisual crash test dummy. Fortunately, just across the road, the affable Mr. Emporium's toy shop stands ready and waiting. A few cuts later, a chap we've known was the toy maker for at least a year now, furnishes Baird's assistant with a puppet whose noiseless, manipulative giggle will be emblazoned upon all types of screens forever. 
Fast forward to 2023, and London, and by extension the world, is in turmoil. South Korea has just launched a new television satellite into orbit, and suddenly everyone in the world thinks they're all right then about everything. Anarchy is the only logical consequence, and thus Doc and Donna join the UNGs at Stark Tower to piece it all together. Cut back to 1925, and D&D have instantly tracked down the toy maker, enjoyed front row seats to a scaled-back New Who recap for the Disney Plus subscribers, lost a game, and whizzed back to 2023 again, where a second-rate third act and a hopefully first-class 15th Doctor await. Beast cow over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? You said you had some questions. I do indeed. You were going to be questioning me. Yeah. You know what? This isn't even one of my questions, but can we please address the accent before we even jump into this? Why the accent? It's a shame that Berlin weren't on the call tonight, because I know for a fact, I think we talked about it with Marie after last time's recording, she absolutely hated it. I absolutely hated it. I'm fairly certain Jim will have had very short shrift with it as well. I don't get it. Because occasionally, Neil Patrick Harris, as the toy maker, dips back into his English accent. Yes. His fake English accent. When he's not dancing in the streets with a French accent. Come oh, on, yes. let us go for a 12. Yeah, that's right. But more often than not, he speaks with a fake German accent in bad fake German. As in, he he seems to be making deliberate grammar mistakes, deliberate vocab mistakes. Like, it, this is a parody of German, not even someone pretending to be speaking English with a German accent. Yeah. Why? It's what a caricaturist from a hundred years ago fresh off uh, the Great War with the Hun, might have lampooned lampooned the Germans as. And what I didn't understand two things about it. One, why they kept going back to it over and over again when it's a one-note kind of shtick. Yeah. And secondly, why it ended up preponderating. It ended up being how he delivered the majority of his dialogue. Yeah. And so it gave me absolutely no sense of what the toy maker even is. Like, I know at one point he says the toy maker's more vast than you could ever understand, but that doesn't mean you should use this as an unfunny cop-out. There are... I've got two things for you. Okay. Number one, I assumed, at first, wrongly, that this was going to be the accent he adopts as, quote-unquote, Mr. Emporium, that this is just part of the persona, part of his... uh, alter ego in 1925. It's the character he's playing. But he doesn't just do it in 1925, he does it throughout and it is bullshit. Number two, the original toy maker, Michael Goff, Mm-hmm. was the Celestial Toymaker. Yep. For people who haven't listened to it, listen back to our Celestial Toymaker, re- my Celestial Toymaker review. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I just remembered that, actually. <laughs> but I remember having a conversation... I had With yourself? No, with JD at ah. the time. And, and I didn't know this at the time. Maybe this is part of some other episode. But Celestial, I found out through watching, listening, and reviewing that episode, um, was a slur for Asian. Yeah. And... The, the celestial toy maker, Michael Goff's toy maker, wears faux Chinese clothing. He is a white man essentially in yellow face. He has the eyebrows painted. It is not a culturally sensitive portrayal. No, he doesn't go fully into it, though, in that he doesn't put on a Chinese accent, nope. nor does he do, uh, attempt weird singlisms, no. mangling of language. 
Correct. Which. Which this one does. <laughs> yeah. But it's still, it was still a portrayal of, I mean, it's someone called the Celestial Toymaker and they deliver, deliberately put him in fake Chinese clothing. Yeah. Or possibly, for all I know, perfectly traditional Chinese clothing, but entirely anachronistic and out of context, right? I understand that you may want to nod, make a nod to this character having certain... Insensitivities? Yeah, moral insensitivities. Okay. Oh, I didn't think that was what they were going for. And the one line that I thought seemed like a deliberate nod to that is when he looks at... I can't remember his name now. Not Logie Bear, the other guy. As in his actual historical name? The assistant. The guy who buys the doll, the dummy, he looks at him and he goes, you must be... uh, used to warmer climes. Do you remember that? Yes. And he's, actually, I was born in London, buddy. Or yeah, whatever. the guy's yeah. ever so slightly swarthy, and he, and he says, no, actually, I was born in Cheltenham. And that seemed like, that was a nod to this character is a bit of a racist, maybe. Because, yeah, I had not made sense of that myself. So that's the nod done. You've done it. You've yeah. done it. Now, why continue <laughs> and offend German audiences? <laughs> you've, you've already done it. <laughs> I don't understand why you would then perpetuate the same, essentially, the same mistake that you made back in 1960-something. 65, 66, whatever it was. And if it is some very tenuous reference to Neymar, Germany, and life is a cabaret, old chum, well, that's going to go over a most of the audience's heads. So that, that was my not introductory question, introductory question. Sure. Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of the toy maker or Neil Patrick Harris specifically, or shall we get back to him later on? Let's get back to him later on. What else you got? Okay. I've got a lot of questions and they all touch upon the ending. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sod it. Will Tennant regenerate at some point? He must, I think. And does that mean that we will get two 15th Doctors? In fact, at some point we will get three 15th Doctors. Oh, <laughs> do you see what I mean? Or has Tennant, has the 14th Doctor lost his regenerative abilities? I think based on the interview RCD took pains to give afterwards, and maybe it was partly with this question in mind, but maybe not. I think he will regenerate into a different 15th Doctor, and that 15th Doctor will have Tales of the TARDIS-style adventures that are secondary to the primary shooty Gatwa Doctor who we will see on the television. Hmm, okay. All see right. on the other side of old Stooky Bill. Gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. I think. Which is a bit confusing, because it makes him... Well, does it make him the 29th Doctor? And the one after will be the 30th? I don't know. It's always been... A vexed question as to how the uh, numbering of the Doctor goes. Maybe, dude, as two men, we really should just learn to let this go. (laughs) Should we, though? (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I'm not saying that as in, oh, this is a bad thing. Although I do see the (laughs) Hooniverse, the the MCU equivalents growing, expanding out of control in a sense. Yeah. But but I don't necessarily mean this as a negative thing. <laughs> the thing is that you could expand it in whatever directions and dimensions you wanted and not have to do this. Big Finish has done it for decades. They've found little interstices where they can put... Lots of adventures, yeah. Extra decades of Doctor life into 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, whatever... And so... I think they've, in fact, already injected tons of years in here. At one point, he says he's a billion years old. He does say that. I think he's rounding up. (laughs) (laughs) Quite significantly. Slightly. Quite, yeah. Wait, 
does Capaldi's no, years No, I knew count? you were going to say oh, that. I knew you were going to say question. that. No, uh, A, it doesn't count because it was in the little time prison. Yeah, but time the sky prison. changed overhead. Constellations fizzled in and out of existence. But also, yeah. he just kept being regenerated, for lack of a better word, by the teleporter. So Rebirthed. that's yeah, he was not aging. He, he, he was aged, reset. He was literally reset. Yeah, he aged only the time that he spent during w- one teleporter life cycle. Okay, so I think we are proving RTD's point in having this argument. Because we have been guilty in the past of picking some canonical nano-nits off the micro-nits that plague regular nits. And the canon is so vast <laughs> that anything new will contradict something that went before if not break the universe entirely. And I think maybe RTD was coming at it from the point of we're going for a big new audience and there's no point trying to have fun, the maximum amount of fun, which is clearly what he's going for, when you have hundreds of limitations on a script that you must legalistically observe, like purity laws, lest the authorities who type and then shout into their little podcast microphones have some (laughs) kind of problem with it. But then I think to say by generation works backwards as well as forwards is just shit stirring. Yeah, I don't like the retroactive. I only learned this right before pressing record. Yeah. Because we looked at the IMDb trivia podcast land and it said, yeah, no, apparently every prior doctor also by generated and there are parallel time timelines. Yeah, and that's for each and every one of them. And that's what enables old man McCoy in Tales of the TARDIS to finally have a rapprochement with Ace. And old Colin Baker can sit down with whoever he did and Davison and Teagan and all that kind of thing. So what RTD is saying there is that is equally canonical. Tales of the TARDIS is 100% as worth your time as the regular run. It definitely isn't. (laughs) But okay, that is interesting. The man's ego, it is trying. I think this is hedging bets to set up a multiverse. I think that's what this is. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing I oh, the problem I always have with multiverses in Doctor Who is the universe is fucking vast, guys. You don't make the narrative scope of Doctor Who any bigger by having multiverses. Like the universe is so unfathomably large that everything can be reflected and weird iterations of itself within the universe. The multiverse is a lazy way of doing that. Yeah, but if you're a huge fan of one franchise with a multiverse, I thought you could be talking about. Then odds are you'll be able to relate more easily to a different franchise with a multiverse perhaps yeah if you like one tower that sits rather starkly against the skyline then perhaps you'll have sympathies for the second certainly yeah how do you feel about by generation this by generation i'm not against new things in doctor who but neil patrick harris he sorry the toy maker sets out to kill the doctor to regenerate the doctor how does a galvanic beam Make a by-generation double doctor. Is like, it I guess the, the Time Lord's never been oh. shot by one. Are you saying it's because of the beam that this happened? I didn't realise that. One of my introductory questions is literally, can you explain the beam? Because I've got problems with the beam. <laughs> but is, is that why this happened? I didn't realise that. It absolutely shouldn't be possible if the regeneration can somehow act with conscious direction and be like, no, actually, this Time Lord has issues that needs to be that need to be figured out and worked through and reconciled before I can complete myself as if the regeneration has its own thought process. No, the, the Doctor's been bloody hell. Three episodes ago in The Power of the Doctor, which this episode copies in so many ways, the Doctor was sliced in half by a giant beam. 
Oh. You remember I the master that. redirected that little wasn't a child that was hidden, the big energy yeah. swarming ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just sliced through Jodie, and that was how she ended up being forced to regenerate. Now, she had also ah. been through the flux. She was carrying just as much trauma and shit as David Tennant, and it didn't happen because guess what? It turns out that Chris Chibnall is actually the bigger respecter <laughs> of Doctor Who history at this point. Also, I'd like you to, uh, I'd like to amend that statement of yours because I think you'll find that Jodie and all prior Doctors by generated. So that includes her. That includes Chibber's era. Yes, but only now. It didn't then, but only now that <laughs> but has it didn't, been... It also didn't in the 60s, 70s, 80s, yeah, but it does now. So, yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. impossible to make sense of. He's he's made it impossible to ground in any kind of. I hate. I hesitate to use the word reality, but in universe physics or within story narrative rules, like the only rule that seems to matter now is how much fun do you have. Yeah. But rules are also and how, much how fun... you have fun, but to a degree, not like in the sitcoms where it's Angela Martin saying it and she's the biggest buzzkill on the office. Oh shit! The prophecies are true. But it, you have to have some sort of limits, otherwise everything is just a, a random choice at the, at the writer's whim. And usually good writing disguises that fact, right? Writing sets out to be natural in some way, rather than to <laughs> have the showrunner's personal choices visible at every conceivable moment. Yes, I uh, sure, yeah, no, uh, same page club. And perhaps I'm being cynical here, but I think this is not just about setting or nullifying those rules i think it's also opening i think it's almost like putting little pins in the timeline of a franchise yeah as a potential callback moment for future fun okay so let's say in two years time or whatever yeah we're three spin-offs of doctor who later yeah one of them wants an adventure. We've now put a pin here that we can that show can call back to. And we're going to have... This episode ends with Tennant completely openly stating that he's gone to Mars, he's gone to New York. Yeah. He's traveling. He has his own TARDIS. He doesn't need a TARDIS. If he buy generates, he doesn't need a TARDIS, but he has a TARDIS. And I think that TARDIS is itself a pin for the unit spinoff or for the... You know, Sea Devil spinoff. Sea Devil spinoff. That's or the, happening. Or the 14th Doctor and Rose, younger Rose spin-off yeah there's no rhyme or reason for this happening now except the potential money to be made of people having fun even against the rules of how we have been taught to have fun for 60 years or whatever in the future yeah it's tantamount to a post-credit scene in a marvel movie you might as well have sam jackson with an eye patch show up with a casserole dish and go oh did someone say vegan meatloaf hey i understand that doesn't <laughs> go in a casserole dish but i don't care <laughs> yeah did yeah. someone say vegan meatloaf plonks it on the table and now we know that's just a pin for future potential monetization okay i see that's all it, i think that's all it is yeah and again i will have you will have heard me say this so many times in the past podcast land, I have the most trouble when Doctor Who is most nakedly a TV show. Yeah. And what you have described, the, the machinations at work, like they didn't need to be forefronted like that. We could have just had, hey, 14th Doctor, we don't know what he was doing for a while. And here he is. You get some bonus tenant content. The world would 
lose their minds and pants with the exact same alacrity <laughs> and fervor. Like McGann, they were talking about bringing McGann back. I know. And people spontaneously do all of it every time there's even the vaguest sniff of a headline. Yeah. It didn't need to be done. I think it's happening whether we or Podcast Land want it or not. I think this is happening. Oh, of course. We don't have any control. What are you saying? So here's hoping that it goes well. Oh, yeah. Here's hoping it's all good. Yeah, I wish it all the best. Yeah, absolutely. Some r- really easy topics handled right off the bat there. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> Do you have any questions you want to ask? I'm sorry that I started with all my end of the episode questions. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about Stooky Bill being in every screen ever made? Even the two we're looking at right now. I think this doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, the I get that the toy maker is essentially... Well, do you know what? Well, we'll get to that. But, he, you know, he's more powerful than God, apparently. So, so I guess he could. So Bill is on every screen. Yes. And he's now on every screen italicised because a new satellite has now given television to everyone. Talking about screens that aren't TVs as well. We're talking about phones, we're talking about tablets, yada. We're talking about the unit screens that, sure, they're plugged into the internet and everything else, but I'm sure they're, you, you know, GCHQ, do they need to pay a BBC licence? Like, I feel, I feel like they're okay. They have screens that are somehow off the grid, or they're in a grid of their own. Yeah, everything with RGB cells and pixels, all those kind of technologies. Yeah, I think this entire... I don't understand... A, I don't understand why it has to happen now. Has the toy maker been waiting until the satellite is in place for everyone to have a TV? B, what happens to all the people who don't have a TV? Just because they're within range of a fucking satellite doesn't mean that they're watching TV. What about various developing countries where people don't necessarily have access to the same TV networks? Just because there's a satellite that technically might cover that geographical region doesn't mean that they have access to the BBC or whatever else. What about video? How does destroying a satellite change anything? Surely we would have to eradicate the whole medium of televisual, digital televisual content in order to eradicate this dummy. Yeah. When RTD goes to the trouble of saying, this universe isn't binary, either this works at 100% or it doesn't work at all. Yeah. In 1925, when this giggle was implanted yeah. in on all screens, and I don't fully understand how that works, because that was literally from one room to the next. That wasn't, now we're transmitting this across the world. <laughs> So I don't yeah. fully understand how that I, works. I wonder exactly where Shirley Ann Bingham got the original footage from to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to display on her. I know. Oh, that's such a dumb scene. Oh, my God. That is such a dumb scene. It's <laughs> such a dumb scene. But even though that part is fairly bad, that's some of the best stuff of the episode. <laughs> okay. Agree to disagree. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But... Okay, but how, however, hang on. Again, two things. Yeah, One, yeah. let's just end that, just to wrap up that tangent. In 1925, there wasn't a South Korean satellite, so it wasn't dependent on that satellite. I don't think there was a South Korea, but yeah, carry on. But fast forward to 2023, we're destroying a, a South Korean TV satellites. Why does that affect everything that happened between 1925 and 2023? I don't think it... We, oh, wait. Because we've been fed this since the invention of television. The satellite isn't there to reinvent television. The satellite is just there to propagate Bill, right? To propagate the giggle. Yes. So what does it matter? If you still have TV, you still have the giggle. Right. Am I wrong? Hang on, wait. The doctor has Donna type out a code... She has access to the subframe and the telescopes. No, wait. 
She does that because they're trying to detect the energy si- signature of the toy maker. Yeah, that's later. So, so yes, isn't well. That's exactly that's right after they destroy the satellite, though. So, but yeah. right after they destroy the satellite, everyone just takes off their little bracelet because now yeah. we don't need it anymore. Now the problem has been solved. But has it? Like, why? No, it hasn't. Why, because, why would it have been? And solved? you're right. I have conflated Donna um, finding the bullshit musical notes. In... Well, that was some time ago. <laughs> I've conflated Donna writing the code, typing out what code? Because she can't think, she's not the Dr. Donna. She can't conceive of this subframe, this energy signature tracking oh code my God, you're right. in her head. Right. So either the Doctor has put it in a file and she's copying what's on <laughs> in the file. At super over. speed. Yeah, at super speed. And not using control C and control V because, I don't know, that breaks unit security protocols. Or I don't know what. Like, what? Like, none of that makes any sense. Wait, but you're so right. When she did that in the episode, I a million percent was thinking to myself, oh, she can do this because she is at least in part almost like a clone. He remembers lots of stuff still. Wait, 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 wait. In the Wild Blue Yonder, yeah. she remembered Flux and lots of other stuff. So there, surely there must be some Dr. No, Lechner. she didn't. That was the fake no thing that remembered that. And she said, I can't remember that. It's like looking into a furnace. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. So RTD has closed off that possibility. So how did she do it in here? Yeah, exactly. What, yeah, he sh- yeah, what, yeah. what should have happened is he should have given it to Mel, who is finally a functioning computer programmer. Yep. After four decades. Well done. And now he's given it to Donna to do. Yeah. <laughs> when she knows nothing, but she's very fast. So she's just chumble-wumbering on the keyboard Oh my god, that's such a good point. It is such a missed opportunity. You have Mel in the room, Doc. Yeah. You have Mel in the room. And not only is she chumble-wumbering with no possible (laughs) efficacy to make the subframe for the energy signature, but she is also not removing Stooky Bill from every screen in history and the present. I suppose it will have happened retrospectively once the toy maker is put in the box. But Maybe. that's so much later. That, that is, is so much later. That's after that crisis has been resolved. Yeah, I suppose if you wipe the Toymaker out in 2023, do you take retroactive control of what he's done today? I I don't think you do. And also, the surely the problem is that the dummy itself was a dummy of the Toymakers. That's the problem. So if that yeah. was done in 1925... Apparently a true story, by the way. Not the toy maker part of it, but that an actual dummy. Anyway, yeah. Stooky Bill, real historical figure. Yeah, I had no idea. But the problem won't be resolved until they go back and replace Stooky Bill. And that is, this touches upon another thing that I want to discuss at some point, which so, is Stooky Bill's arc. Yeah. So what you're saying is when South Korea launches COSAT 6, then the whole thing happens all over again. Well, what I'm saying is I don't think it matters. Right. Here's an example. So, in 1997, a cinematic abomination was released. Oh? I'm speaking, of course, of Speed 2 Cruise Control. And in... <laughs> oh, yes. No arguments there. <laughs> it was released in cinemas. It was released on VHS. At some point, it came out on DVD. Uh-huh. I bet you can buy it on Blu-ray. It's probably available on digital download. I expect several people have downloaded that. Yeah. If, at some point, you decided, hang on, that film was terrible. I just picked that because I literally just Googled worst films of the 90s and that came up. But if, you, if at some point you decided that film was awful, we're going to scrap every single Blu-ray of it. That does not change the fact that people watched it in 1997 and went home and cried themselves to sleep. Yeah. This is the exact equivalent of that. The fact that you have this satellite, that's Blu-ray. 
in the video, the, the recording in 1925 is the cinema release. The fact that you've just removed the Blu-ray does not negate the fact that the cinema release happened. Yeah. So Sticky Bill exists and the giggle exists and people are still going to have been affected by it. Thanks the toy maker your, wins. Thanks for your analogy that has satisfactorily explained causation. Thanks. Chin chin. <laughs> <laughs> What were we talking about before? I have a question. Please, yeah, yeah, ask it. I came close to it. I mentioned it last week. How exactly do you win a gamble with an omniscient being? Yeah. Like, how is a gamble with an omniscient being possible? The way that you beat the toy maker is yes. you play some childish game with him. In this case, cut the deck or play catch. Hate that bit, by the way. Let's we'll talk about that, that later. Yeah. And that's all you do. You beat him. You make him think that you are not privy to the bendability of the rules. Everyone plays by the rules, but the rules can be interpreted in different ways. And you make him think that he's the only one who knows how to interpret it with some added flexibility. Yeah, I watched part four of The Celestial Toymaker. Oh my goodness, well done. Yeah, that's the only extant uh, televisual survival. So I watched out to see what Michael Goff's character was like. Yeah. And yes, there is a lot of umming and ahhing in the last 10 minutes with Stephen and Dodo and the Doctor in the TARDIS. Like, how do we find the loophole here? Yeah, that remind me, is the last one, is the last one actually, is the last game actually the dance around in circles? No, no, it's, it's the Doctor is poised one turn before the end of the Trilogic game. Yeah. But if he wins then the Toymaker's domain and the TARDIS within it will vanish. That's it, And the yeah, Toymaker yeah. will survive. So they've got to... Essentially, it boils down to they make the last move and dematerialize at the exact same time. And it takes a very long time for them to figure out exactly how to do that. And in the end, it's not really that clever. But yeah, they, they try. Well, there may or may not be a uh, reimagining of that script being produced at some point in the near future. Interesting. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. Um, yeah. You had a problem with the edge of creation last week, and I have a problem with, yeah, I made God a jack-in-the-box this week. Oh, yeah. Because, A, it doesn't match with the omniscient nature of how you would conceive that kind of God. Is the line, actually, I made God a jack-in-the-box? I gambled with God and made him a jack-in-the-box. And he also... Do you, wait, sorry, do you take Guardians that literally? Of, yes, those are the words in the script. <laughs> <laughs> what else am I supposed to do? That's what RTD wants. He's pushing buttons. He's being provocative. And he's provoked me this time. <laughs> uh, well, well, we we had a you know, minor debate in last week's episode uh -huh. about how uh, you believe in God, I don't believe in God. Sure. And how uh, because I don't believe in God, I also believe that God doesn't exist in Doctor Who. But I feel like Doctor Who up until now, at the very least has not recognized that part of life and culture. That is something that doesn't exist in Doctor Who, or hasn't existed in Doctor Who. It's everything is sci-fi, zero faith. I think it sometimes made concessions to a possibility, but not spelt it out concretely. We said this last week. Yeah. Podcast Land, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I don't know what you're waiting for. You should listen to that episode. That is a, it, it's a hilarious, it's a long, but a hilarious episode. Yeah, and we liked that one. We absolutely loved that one. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sorry. Um, in fact, quote, we freaking loved that mm. one, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, spoilers. I don't actually remember, I, now that you say it, I remember that line, but I never took that literally. I took that to be him just saying, oh, I... I've met the most formidable foes on the toy battlefield, and I have bested them all. Uh, That's how I took that. He's also played against the Guardians of Time and Space and shrunk them into voodoo dolls. He's 
he is one of the Guardians. The Toymaker? Yeah, he's oh, one of he... the Eternals. I think they're called the Guardians. I'm going to whobackwhen.com because I... Yeah. Yeah. My, my problem is with the logical impossibility and also the fact that this is so much ungainly breadcrumbing as well. When he's like, oh, but there's one even bigger than God, the one who waits. Oh, I wouldn't. Oh, dear, no. It gives me shivers. <laughs> it's like, it's literal hubris. RTD has to come up with <laughs> now a villain who's better than the villain who's better than God. Good luck, mate. Yeah. Also, it's just dawn on me. Who... So it, it is true. I just looked it up. He is one of the Guardians of Time, a.k.a. the Eternals. The others were the White Guardian and the Black Guardian. Okay, so but... if he's on a par with them, then presumably he could very easily best them. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame, I think. I've, I'm only saying that now because I wouldn't mind at some point getting them back on the show. Yeah. But apparently that's it's too late now because they've been turned into voodoo, voodoo dolls. Oh, I suppose we could meet them knowing that at some point they will turn into voodoo yeah. dolls. and nothing yeah. means anything. They can undo it. They'll just be different guardians who are also a myth. Because all you have to do to justify something in Doctor Who is say, I thought this was a myth. Ah, it's actually happening. Guess myths can sometimes be trusted. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. But yeah, RTD, he clearly, because Neil Patrick Harris was in It's a Sin, clearly had a whale of a time with the guy. Yeah. Got on, like, houses on fire, like franchises on fire, and <laughs> brought him back and just gave him so much screen time. And so but much was, freedom, but it I was, think. Yeah, but all the freedom was used to an annoying end, and all the sort of law building was just blowing smoke up his ass. It wasn't giving the toy maker an interesting character. It was all descriptive of his scale like i'm a vastness bigger than you can ever imagine god guardians nothing compares to me on and on it goes but there's never actually a center to feel in awe of did you ever feel in awe of him at any point apart from i would nominate when he appears as the puppeteer yeah, yeah holding the marionette in the sky in the strings but even that was within his domain i'd been led by many of the leaked images and as part of the great hype machine to imagine that he was towering looming over the earth doing that rather than some potentially tiny pocket world i yeah i i'm with you a million percent similarly maybe we already talked about this in wild blue yonder or star beast i thought this whole trilogy was going to be about the toy maker yeah and um oh by the way it's a pity that jim can make it because we were talking i think in star beast about why is this tenant surely it's because of the toy maker we're going to find out in part three and we didn't but yeah it doesn't matter you bring up the puppeteering scene yeah i completely agree with you that was the best best toy maker scene in part because i think that was almost the only toy maker scene yeah and as in the only true original toy maker coming back here right in my notes i've written the puppets should have been the whole thing Hmm. One of the things that the toy maker does is somehow you are lured into his domain. He makes you play a game that he re- he interprets the rules of that game. For example, let's say the cutting of the deck. Yeah, cut the deck. Absolutely. The rules go. So if you have the highest card, then you win. But he's probably memorized all the cards, so he cuts the deck and knows exactly which card to pick. Yeah, did, so Tennant didn't shuffle it. Did I know. He? Oh, dear. Oh, what an oversight. What a dilettante. <laughs> But when you lose that game, not if, but when you lose that game, you yeah. are turned into a toy. Not a game, toy. A, a, there's a huge difference. And I feel like all that was happening here was was just games. Catch is not a toy. A ball is not a toy in the old toy tradition of the toy maker. No. Everyone turns into a puppet. 
or a little ballerina in a music box or a stuffed teddy bear. That That's the kind of toy we're talking about. Yeah. And so when you have the wooden toy, the chap who's hanging on the wall, he's turned into Stucky Bill, essentially. Yeah. That's what we should have had. That's the threat. Yeah, and, and when he, by the way, is lolling about on the floor and you're like, he's not fully in control of his limbs. Wait, his shoulders look different. That was genuinely creepy. Yeah. Really uncanny. Absolutely. Yeah, really got a, like, a visceral bodily reaction from me. Like, oh, revulsion. Like that my skin didn't quite start to crawl, but it was more effective than the scene we've seen before. Night terrors, basically, of the creepy dolls. Yeah, absolutely. Because that wasn't so unknown. That was very obviously, oh, okay, that's what it is. And yeah, of course they're going to leap at her. Like, I've seen this before. There are some parallels here between this episode and The Celestial Toymaker. Okay. In that, in The Celestial Toymaker, you have, I want to say it's a family of, of royals. They're the playing card royals. Okay. The Jack, Queen, King. And they... I th- oh. But not the ace. <laughs> I literally just I literally just read a synopsis of this and I forgot in anticipation of reading the script of potentially something that maybe or may maybe not. I read, who knows, maybe it'll be produced at some point land. Anyway. And they're a family. They're a family that somehow got trapped in the toy maker's domain, got turned into toys, in this case playing card characters. Okay. And now they're just forced to be there. They're stuck there. Yeah. That's how this whole thing works. And the parallel here is Stucky Bill, who also has a wife and children. And we get to meet the wife and children. Yeah. That's creepy as hell. And that is a way for RTD to completely one-up the creep factor from the original Celestial Toymaker. Mm-hmm. But, and but. unfortunately there is a but, they're missing an arc. Yeah. Stucky Bill shows up, is killed. But we don't know who he is. I don't sympathize with him. I don't empathize with him. He dies. We later understand that he's married to the... I can't remember her character, but the other... Stooky Sue and the, they have the Stooky Babbies. But you know what? I, I can't relate to her. I can't relate to them. Because we don't know them. And when they show up, they're fucking assholes. <laughs> they're a one-stop shock. Yeah. yeah. So They're supposed to be the stuff of nightmares. And Donna picks up... Sue takes her head off yeah. and the babbies just retreat. They don't seem to mourn the loss of yet another parent. They, they're now orphaned. Dude, they're terrified. They're terrified by Donna's imposing presence. This was actually... What, you may be able to guess, Podcast Land, my favourite moment of the episode was, fuck off, Sue, you're a goner, or whatever she says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we criticised Catherine Tate for not going hard enough at the giant hand last week. That, yeah, all she... that energy came back and doubled. Absolutely. She no, well done, Donna. completely destroyed that thing. <laughs> she was like, is it okay if I completely annihilate this prop? And the prop <laughs> master's like, yep, absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. Yep. The more splinters, the better. Yeah, because the viewers, we don't care about it. The... <laughs> yeah. no, no, you're right. Absolutely. She did a fantastic job. And that scene is creepy AF. And it really, if we had explored it further, I think it could have too upped <laughs> the original Celestial Toymaker. Yeah. But I didn't find that scene creepy, by the way. I enjoyed that scene for Donna's vehemence. Oh, I see. She was donnering against unworthy foes, in my opinion. In the the, in the first time that I watched this episode, yep. on, was it New Year's Day? It or? was the 9th of December, 2023. 9th of, wait, no. Yep. Oh, it, yeah, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah thank right. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When I first watched it, anyway, yep. I thought, aha, 
the chap who is Baird's assistant, whose name I... Banerjee is his name. Okay. The, the Banerjee, who is turned into a puppet. Yeah. That's his actual family. And we're just seeing his oh. life cycle, not in reverse, but we're starting very close to the end. And then he's going to loop around temporally because time doesn't really mean the same thing in the toy maker's realm. So Stucky Bill is in fact him, which is why at the start, Ooh. when he purchases the puppet and he goes, is this real hair? And it's actually his hair. And then he gives it to Bed, and Bed rips the head off. And when he does, you can actually see him wince. He's yeah. Ay. And I thought, genuinely thought at the time, oh, he's doing that because we're going to find out later, or rather for the people who rewatch this episode after they've seen the ending where they learn that he's actually Stucky Bill. Yeah. They're going to go, he's doing that because that's his head being pulled off. Yeah, and then if you make it his head, then you don't have to have Neil Patrick Harris saying, but then she will never miss anything ever again. (laughs) And he just twinkles and gurns his way through that line. And Banerjee's, yeah, but I really need that puppet. So I'm going to just let that slide. Yeah, exactly. It Um, lost me at that point. And it went on far too long. And that is about two minutes into the episode, by the way. Doctor Who episodes will lose me every now and then. Points. It's a sinus curve. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like well, a so- seven-point <laughs> arc through an episode. But that, anyway, that would have given Stucky Bill an arc. Yeah. And it would have given the wife and children point of empathy. Because at that point, essentially, when... I keep saying essentially. You know the scene where Banerjee... nearly forgot his name again. When Banerjee reaches out to Tennant as a puppet. Yes. And Tennant retreats. He's like, oh, shit, don't touch me. That's gross. <laughs> Banerjee goes, what would my mum say if she saw me like this? Oh, yeah, what would my mummy say? What he should have said... And this may have been the point where I realized I was wrong. But okay. what he should have said otherwise should have been, what will my wa- what will Sue say when she sees me like this? No, what will my wife say? And that's when we realize, fuck! Yeah. What, what's she going to say when she thinks I've got a human head? <laughs> I'm not entirely puppet anymore. I'm this weird half beast. Mm. Anyway. I thought that the toy maker's domain could have been lent a, an extra layer of cleverness. Uh-huh. And it nearly was, but I thought it could have interacted more with Tennant's trauma because this episode, and if we're to take Just Let It Go from the Star Beast as priming us for this possibility, that too, is about sloughing off some of Doctor Who's accumulated baggage and yeah. moving forward. And in this domain, we have exactly the same corridor stuck on different sides of a door action that they can't get through as last week. As yeah, that's, it's identical. Yeah. Absolutely identical. Two weeks running. Doctor Who is a show of infinite possibilities, and they do the same thing two weeks running. Now, I thought they could have justified that, because it's also happened many times previously in Doctor Who. We could have gone through several intentional Doctor Who retreads, because the Doctor, he repeats the same patterns over and over. He needs to break those patterns. So the toy maker, knowing his history as well as he does, could have constructed not only this corridor nightmare and night terrors retread to go through but also base under siege like he could have touched on several different things and the doctor he he could have reacted in the same old ways but he could also have thought maybe i need to grow a little bit and so there could have been more of a you know a back and forth like the toy maker tries to best tenant by because he thinks he can predict his actions tenant learns and it goes on and on that and then it, then I would have been much more on board with, okay, that motivates 
and I'm not fully against Tennant having therapy, by the way, and living with the nobles and whatever. I'm quite behind that. But this would have motivated that more. It would have made it cleverer. It would have made it seem less derivative, less just a, a straight, flat-out, unimaginative repeat. Yeah, you're right. If you make it deliberate, it ceases to be a facsimile. Yeah, because, like you say, if Stooky Sue and the Babbies had any kind of history, then it wouldn't just have been, okay, Donna essentially just has to fight them off and not be scared. She would be going against them with the compassion that she has shown from her from the beginning as a companion since the fires in Pompeii, which is why Capaldi chose his face because of what she did back then pretty much. They could have used that to, to its advantage and had her really wrestle with them and struggle and be like, OK, no, I need to see through this because, no, you're not real. You are trying to trick me. And it would have been hard for her rather than just, nah, you're a fucking piece of wood, bash, bosh. It would have made it so much tenser. There was very little tension in this ostensibly scary episode. What about in 2023? Okay. What about moments of tension or lack thereof in 2023? What? Do you think there was a tense moment? <laughs> no, no. I, I think there were a few. I, I genuinely do not. But I do think there are moments where the episode tries to add tension. Is Are we getting on to the uh, ball-catching segment? Shall we talk about it? Yeah, okay. Let's... We still need to talk about you. Now. We need to talk about the music video. <laughs> we need to talk about... We haven't talked about Mel. We, yeah, well, there's tons to discuss. Yeah. Okay, playing catch. Yeah. The oldest game. And by the way, I think playing hide-and-seek would be an older game because humans would have evolved trying to escape predators. They would have been hiding from predators rather than throwing the ball to predate. They had to work their way up to the top of the food chain. You'd have been hiding before you'd have been throwing. That's my take on it. And so I think that it's a false premise to then set up what is ultimately a very disappointing, tension-free ball catch sequence. So I'm just undercutting it from the beginning. Please take it ahead. Uh, I'm just Googling what is the oldest game in the world. Um... The oldest game in the world is who can piss the furthest into the lake. <laughs> that's the oldest game in the world. Yeah, that's what should have happened. And is then that, that... the two, the 14th and 15th Doctors are both piss, <laughs> p- pissing. The, actually, the three of them, uh, 14, 15, and Toymaker, are pissing off yeah. the edge of Stark Tower. Literal pissing contest. And the Toymaker goes, by the, my interpretation of the rules, I'm pissing with an erection, and therefore I can. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have somehow mastered the aerodynamics of my urine, and they are going further than either one of you, and then 14 and 15 go, yes, but we are essentially the same character and therefore you have to add our distances together and then they win. We are actually separated by 700 years. This is the same urine coursing through both of our penises. You may have pissed a kilometre, but we have pissed through seven centuries. Beat that toy It's maker. the equivalent of when the 50th anniversary, when all the doctors show up and they've been running the same calculation. We have the same kind of montage. It was like, no, 15. And all of a sudden, <laughs> all these doctors show up and they're all pissing off the edge of a stock tower. <laughs> I would have killed to watch that. Yeah, so I, I reckon the toy maker, he would have <laughs> over... He would have overplayed his hand and he would have pissed so far that the urine went into orbit and it never came down. So (laughs) if it never lands, then we'll never know the distance it's gone. Sorry, but you lose. There's no measurement. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, catch. Catch. Yeah, we were talking about catch. It seemed a little lazy. I guess it's on brand for a toy makery episode because it is it's still silly and it's dumb. Like it is, it's a straight up dumb plot well, move. Okay, yeah. this is the second dumb plot move because let's face it, the cutting the cards move is an incredibly dumb move. 
There's no thought to it. There's no cleverness. There's no cleverness. There's no possible deception or trickery. It's just I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to take a dumb, stupid chance. Yeah. Why? He should be thinking there. There's a it, it, podcast land pens down. I'm going to say fifty-fifty chance. <laughs> He, he yeah. must be thinking, 50-50, Don and I are effed. We're totally effed in the A. There's, yeah. there's every possibility that we are going to be stuck in this domain forever now. Why not pick something that requires some skill? Perhaps a skill that he knows Donna has that the toy maker doesn't, isn't aware of. Maybe that's his ace up his sleeve. Possibly. Give Donna some agency. Yeah, the toy maker is fairly omniscient. He knows Donna's name. He knows all the stuff through time. But yeah, they could have done it. All they needed to do was motivate it with the script. Cutting the deck is no Trilogic game. Even though the Trilogic game is... It's a silly thing. We don't really understand what it is. Whatever, blah, 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 blah. It's just an excuse to cut Hartnell out of an episode. But <laughs> Yeah, but it's also... It's two to the power of ten, isn't it? You're just trying to move a ten-layered stack from one peg to another, and that is exactly how many moves it would take, two to the power of ten, because there are ten layers. Yeah, but that still requires a little bit more thought than Oh yeah, he's got to follow he's got to follow the procedure and he's gotta get it right. But yes, there is no thought in the cutter deck, and that annoyed me at the time, instantly. I don't know who he was thinking would be impressed by that. Is it just it's such a courageous move? It's such a It's ballsy, but you're liable to get your balls chopped off. In the thumbnail on iPlayer, the image for this episode is the toy maker firing cards. Like there's a whirlwind of cards and Doc and Donna are doing their sort of stu- half stooping, half running pose in front of him. And he's towering behind them and he's like, firing cards everywhere. And it looks great. And it bears absolutely no resemblance to the one card scene we get in this episode, <laughs> which is very sedate. And yeah. is it closer to him firing petals in the... The other Mel B scene of this episode. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well done, sir. (laughs) Jerry, good. (laughs) Nice one, thanks. Yeah, that did add some spice to this episode. Anyway, yeah, so... (laughs) So anyway, my problem with the actual catching was, again, the two didn't gang up on the toy maker. They didn't faint. They didn't, with an E, they didn't fake a throw yeah. from Tennant to Shooty exactly. and Shooty goes to throw and the there, toy maker's watching him and at that point Tennant hits him on the knee and it bounces off and he's lost. There was never any strategy. They've suddenly got an opportunity here to have these two players, Doc and Doc who know each other better than anyone else in the entire universe arguably knows anyone else. Yeah, they can talk perfectly in sync because of that connection. So they should be able to devise a strategy perfectly in sync as well. Yeah. There's a per- there's such a, a great opportunity here for the two of them to, exactly as you say, set up a ploy to fool the toy maker. One of them oh, it stumbles, one of the, whatever it is, but it's all actually... You could have had some sleight of hand here where one of them stumbles and the other guy tries to throw, but he's throwing nothing. He has an empty hand and the yeah. other guy throws the ball. That's exactly what I was trying to describe. Why, why yeah. not do that? Why just have a regular game of cat? Speaking as a very bad cricket player, like before games... In, down in the lower leagues, we will be tossing each other catches and we'll be looking at the guy to our left as we side throw it to the guy to the right of us to try to catch him out. Like, we, we will do all sorts of tricks yeah. and sometimes they'll come off and sometimes they won't. And so 
as someone with a passing acquaintance with a ball, I was expecting like someone on the team who made this episode to have known like a couple of things they could try. But instead it was just, here's a quick cut. Oh, he caught it. Here's another quick cut. Oh, he caught it. Here's another quick cut. Oh, he didn't catch it for no reason. There's no reason why this guy caught it and this one didn't. But he didn't, so we can move forward with the episode. Yeah, it's not even lazy, actually, because I'm sure that this took incredible effort to... They choreographed it. Like, guys they were diving all over the shop. It, on the page of the script, presumably the final, the, the final draft, it's just one line that says they play catch. Yeah, amazingly. But in production terms, I'm sure it took incredible effort. Yeah. So why not just... Yeah. No, it's it's not that it's lazy. It's that it's underwhelming. Yeah, it's underdone. And I have to set that against the massive amounts of hype that have led up to this episode. I want to reach a balanced judgment of this episode. And so I don't want the hype to make me extra negative and be like, oh, none of it wasn't worth any of the hype. And so I'm going to react too much and give it a, a terribly harsh rating but at the same time i can I, I now see that all that hype was unwarranted yeah unfortunately and people were looking so much so forward to neil patrick harris as was i and i yeah. once again underwhelmed because abby made a good point that neil patrick harris is a great singer and he got to do a couple of dance moves um, he didn't during... sing though. Sing, he just lip synced. Yeah, you were wasting. God, can we talk about that? Yeah, scene? you were wasting that, that guy's talent. He's a triple threat, isn't he? Oh, at least possibly sex topple. As in act, sing, dance, boom, done. Yeah, he gets to dance, doesn't get to sing. Why the hell do we have? I timed it by the way. It's ninety seconds. Why do we have a minute and a half? Is of it that music? short? It seemed much longer. I the reason I timed it was I remembered it being the entire song. <laughs> right. <And> yeah. I, <laughs> no, it couldn't be Yellow Man in Timbuktu. They specifically muted that line. It's in the transcript as on Chakatea.net as racist line removed. Oh really? Yeah, which made me wonder if it was I, the I connection. I don't know the lyrics of the song, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> which it made me wonder if that was the connection back to the Oh, you're from Cheltenham line. I thought you were yeah, the the whole insensitivity at the beginning. Wait, there's a line in that song which is the yellow man from Timbuktu. Yeah, the whole point of the song is all the colours of the world come together and unite. I've I've never considered yeah. the lyrics. So they were a little slapdash with the colours, but okay. they took them out. Yeah. Why so, do we have yeah. this scene? We have it because RTD saw Rara Rasputin in The Power of the Doctor and thought, Sasha, he didn't he wasn't given a fair shot at that. They had to do it very quickly. I can beat that. All ends up. I'm going to make it as camp as possible. I have an, I have a, a parallel theory. Oh, yeah. Because you this doesn't preview right or wrong, but it might work in parallel. Think of maybe one UK band that is recognised across the pond. Okay. It, is it Spice Girls? Like, like well, the-, <laughs> the Beatles have been in Doctor Who already. Although but we're getting, back. A, we're getting a Beatles episode. So, so yeah. we need something now that isn't the Beatles. Something that is modern-ish. Yeah. That people outside of the UK recognise. People maybe who subscribe to Disney Plus recognise yeah. yeah. as British. Some 11-year-old in America, by the way, yeah. is watching this, hearing and recognising this 26-year-old song as I, when I was 11, would have listened to Let It Be, the 26-year-old song by the Beatles. (laughs) I hate the fact that time passes. That's okay, you're old. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) I'm still young. (laughs) But... (laughs) I know a lot of people really like this music. I'm I'm calling it a music video, but I I know a lot of people... They certainly went all in on it. 
Apart yeah. from him singing, but that would have been difficult to pull off. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. I bet he could have done it, though. I bet he could have sung it up a storm. I'm sure he could. Absolutely yeah, could have. I but would... it would have required a, a whole different type of production. Flippin' it. He's the toy maker. He can summon the Spice Girls and just make them sing for him. He can be puppeteering them. Can you imagine that? Just make this a gratuitous music video. Yeah, but it's not going to be the whole thing. What he's going to do is he's going to bring them in for five or six seconds and then he's going to click his fingers and they're going to disappear in a puff of smoke and you're going to be like, oh, thank God. Okay, that would have been fun. But anyway, (laughs) it's 90 seconds. It's very well produced. It's... It's zippy. It is zippy. It's a little bit odd that he... It comes a little bit out of nowhere that he spins Kegels around against a wall, knocks her out, but then she's back, and then he does the same with Mel B, and then she's back. That doesn't look good. It, it really doesn't look good, but that, that's fine. That's that, I, I can forgive that. Okay. But it's a 90-second dose of reality in an unreal space. That's what's so odd to me. It's one of those... Here's that thing that actually exists in the real world, which in... Why the flip is the toy maker picking... He has all the music of sung by absolutely everyone across time and space, and he picks a Spice Girls song that's 26 years old. It's a camp classic. It's... It's RTD's personal choice and it's nakedly a TV show again. That That's the two problems brought together. That's the thing. It feels like a TV show when it does that. It, it, that's exactly right. Yeah. And it shouldn't. That's most of why I dislike that scene, I think. Mm-hmm. Oof, my love. Yeah. So, yeah. we talked about foreshadowing and big bads and the one who waits. And there's a lot of chatter about the hand that comes down at the end and picks up the gold tooth containing the master. Yeah. This hand has nail polish on it yeah my problem from the very second i saw that was how exactly is there someone else up on the gun deck yeah and we have to rely on everybody just scratching their asses looking the other way for long enough for them to creep in do the pickup and creep away again so bad yeah so okay so who has been foreshadowed at this point the one who waits the master the master's in the tooth yeah yeah. The meep has said, wait till the boss hears about this. Who'll either be the one who waits or some hitherto, you know, undecided. TBD. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that for this episode, there was also a deleted scene where Mel did a bit more talking? No, but about I, Mel was massively underused in this yeah. one. So it would have been lovely to include that. And to hear her talking about her experience with the Ronnie. We've both seen the next episode. Yeah. We're jumping ahead a little bit here, but, you know, there's a post-credit scene in the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. There's chatter that that's the Rani. I still think that the Rani is going to be who I said it was going to be years and years ago, that drag actor. Years and years ago I said this on the podcast, and I'm sticking to that theory. That's very possible. Yeah, yeah, no, very possible. (sighs) But yeah, I I get that it's, as you say, it's the Doctor Who equivalent of a Blorco cutscene. Oh, look, there's Blorco's hand picking up the, the gold tooth. And, yeah. Is Blorco Simpsons? What is Blorco? Blorco is, is internet slang for the next thing, Oh, okay. The next character. Right, right, right. Sorry. Who, some deep cut nonsense. You know. Yeah. Who <laughs> fans understand this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, from the from furthest reaches of Marvel's canon. So the hand, anyway, we know is not... Actually, do we know it's not the master? I was going to say, we know it's not the master. The master's the, in the tooth, The yeah. master's in the tooth and someone picks up the tooth, but it could be a different iteration of the master picking up yeah. the tooth. But nobody's looking out the windows of this predominantly glass building. 
And yeah, but this yeah yeah. I, yeah, that's dumb. Nobody's but... walking out to start sweeping up. They're not. They're just going to leave all the debris where it is. Like, for yeah. goodness' sake, TV show again. It's something that a five-year-old wouldn't notice. And the show now is acting as if it has license to get away with anything the youngest kid on the most sugar wouldn't notice. <laughs> yeah, but this... Okay, this means we need to... What, what you're doing is you're lending the, the entity that is unit some credence. Yeah. You're putting faith in them. How stupid of me when I've seen them shoot their guns that are shooting flowers for about... 40 seconds. It doesn't work. Maybe the next bullet will work. Yeah. No, it doesn't work. Maybe the next bullet will Maybe work. Maybe the next gun will work. That has bullets. <laughs> what? And we've seen that a million times in Doctor Who as well. And so the show is at the same time saying, we're moving on. We're moving on from all the bad stuff. And then just repeating other stuff it either hasn't recognized as bad okay. or thinks isn't bad enough to matter. Okay, let's talk units. And in podcast land, for those of you who are just on the cusp of pressing stop because you think we're gonna we're just haters I, i'm gonna say something that i loved about this episode in this section hey here we go let's talk unit first though <laughs> oh i see at um, some point in this section there will be something that i absolutely loved this uh, is some of the be yeah, best beep in this section yeah. absolutely great podcast land the one who waits will get their reward <laughs> unit is terrible <laughs> unit is it feels like such a cheap franchise spin-off show. Already, the second they show up on that helipad, it is the cheapest dog shit I have ever seen. What the fuck is the Vlinks? What is oh, the... Oh, you didn't like the Vlinks? No. Why have the Vlinks, which, by the way, no one reacts to. Doc goes, oh, Vlinks, cool. Donna goes, oh, Vlinks, cool. Donna's seen a fair amount by this point. Not at units in London. This, this is a new thing. This is something that is new, but it is something that is, in citation marks, established for the new unit spin-off. The reason I think it looks oh, yeah. cheap and is cheap is oh. because it looks like something that's going to come straight out of a Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show or a... It's basically the dolphin from Sequest. Oh, it's fine. We have a... It's not even data. It's a low-rent data. It's a data in the wall. <laughs> the Vlinks is never going to go on an adventure except for that one episode that we're going to we're going to get in the spin-off show of the one Vlinks episode. Oh, so he's a cross between Data and Schnarf. Is that the name of the <laughs> No, this is from Schnarf from Thundercats. He stays behind <laughs> all the time apart from when he wakes up one day and the base slash Stark Tower is empty and then the Vlinks slash Snarf has to yeah, put things right. In fact, now I'm thinking of Beverly Crusher. That's exactly what season two of the Agents of Unit spin-off. <laughs> yeah. Like, season two, episode four is going to be exactly that. <laughs> I, I love that pick. That sounds so right to me. Some alien force has cleared all of London. And the Vlinks boots up in the morning, as the Vlinks is wont to do, at uh, 6.15am every morning, the Vlinks boots up. Yep, he Vlinks his eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> Looks around, uh, does some computations, waits for everyone. Yep. It, nobody's here, has a quick Vlinks, oh, still nobody's here. Silly biological creatures, always late for work. I'll Vlink some more. Um, <laughs> 30 minutes later, still no humans have arrived. Okay, I should probably scan the building. Maybe there's, a, there's trouble at the front door. There's no one in the building. Wait, 
There's no one in the city. Now the Vlinks needs to come out of his niche for that one episode because it doesn't fully work. And in season two, episode five, the Vlinks is back in his niche. Yeah. And that's it. That's all the Vlinks we're going to get. But it looks... See, I didn't notice the I dis- cheapness. I despised it. <laughs> right, okay. I absolutely despised the Vlinks. I'm so sorry, Podcast Land. I know you think I'm a hater. I feel like all your anti-Marvel venom has been concentrated into the figure of the Vlinks. I've seen a fair bit of Marvel. Yeah. Like, I've seen, not all, but I think probably most of the films. I watched enough some of the see, shows. Enough to see most of the variations. Enough to know that it's diminishing returns from here on in. I loved Loki. Absolutely loved Loki. Oh, yes. And I tried to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when it was a thing. Yeah. And I think I got maybe one season into it. And then I just went, but this is a waste of my life. I I could be doing something worthwhile. I could be doing a Doctor Who podcast. I could be doing anything worthwhile. Yeah. I could be boiling a carrot. And that would be better (laughs) use of my time. So I stopped watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And this felt like, why am I not boiling a carrot right now? At least that's putting my energy to some good use. (laughs) (laughs) Sucking all the flavour out of a carrot. Yeah. Okay. Screw you, Flinks. Wow. Didn't you say that there was something you liked and saw favourably? Yes. Kegels. Oh, and before saying this... Not something else you hated. No. Hey! Someone I greatly admire. Tracy from America. Props to Tracy, because Tracy sent us an email suggesting that because there might be some new listeners, perhaps we should explain why we're calling Kegels Kegels. Okay. Kegels... Full name? Kate Lethbridge-Stewart. Is the daughter of? Brigadier Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart. Yes, Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart, which, if you put all of those letters together, spell-ish bagels, which is what the Brigadier was called on Who Back When back in the day. When Bagel's daughter was introduced, we referred to her as Kegel's because B turned into K. Kegel's. Thank you very much, Tracy. Excellent tip. What if her middle name is Gordona? <laughs> Gordona. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best scene of this episode. Yeah. Best acted scene of this episode. Uh-huh. Fucking Emmy-worthy acting in that one scene is Kegel's taking the... I keep calling it a bracelet, but the armband thing. Yep. Off. Yep. And changing personality, becoming instantly a tiny bit racist, going verbally assaulting Shirley in a way that... Props to RTD for writing this, by the way, because it's in a way that kind of preempts all of the horrible trolls online who were writing about... I've forgotten her name now. The actress who plays Shirley. Right. People who were saying, like, I've seen her walk while she in a wheelchair. Yeah, because she stands up in this episode, even. Yeah. And I think... They do that deliberately, too. Absolutely. And and Kegel, I would assume so. And Kegel's mimics exactly those trolls. But before the trolls have had even a chance to watch this episode, it's really well done. Yeah. And I would add that just before she takes the Z-Dex off, which, if it weren't financed by Disney+, Plus, would be called a Z-Dex. Oh, yeah. Oh, no! Yeah. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. You're so right. Even before she takes it off, like as, <laughs> as she's reaching for it, on her bicep or wherever it is, yeah, you can see shame flicker across her face because she knows what she's about to do. Yeah. And when she puts it back on and she apologizes to Shirley, she looks around the room, she knows that everyone in that room is, at least to a degree, judging her for what she's just done. Yeah. It, that, that is the best written and the best acted scene of the entire episode. And when she first flung her arms around the doctor's neck, coming out to him on the helipad, and said, 
Doctor, I fought them all, but I don't know what to do now. I thought that was pretty strong start as yeah, well. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah. Yes. Was it Gemma Redgrave? Yes, Gemma Redgrave. Well done. Throughout. Bravissima. How do you feel about Unit and Kegels and everyone there? Maybe this is a nice uh, occasion to segue to Melby as well. I want them to be so much better. <laughs> We've had the, the Sikh commander in the Star Beast. We've got Colonel Ibrahim here. Yeah. And so the... Doing all the diversity <laughs> buttons, that's great. But they're part of the shittest organisation. Like, it, it takes away the value of one thing if you then make them all the dumbest people possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. We've been talking about Shirley Ann Bingham. And do you remember, in our Star Beast thing, I came yeah. up with the Shirley, you can't be serious thing. I was like, oh, even RTD backed away from that. Yeah. And then he brings her back in this episode, and it's... The second thing Tennant says to her. Is it? Did I you miss it. that? I totally missed it. Yeah. Tennant and Donna are walking <laughs> towards Shirley as they arrive on the helipad. And yeah, Shirley, you can't be serious, is buried deep in the mix. And she smiles as if it's the first time she's ever heard that in her life. The poor thing. God, she must have been plagued with that from the very beginning. How do you, have you changed your opinion of Shirley? Or has this episode just cemented your adoration of the character? Adoration might be a strong word, but I think we all liked Shirley in the Star Beast. She's slightly more than a one-note sass box in this episode. Her research skills are incredible, literally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not credible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I would be pleased to see more of Shirley in and out of the TARDIS. Yeah. In different environments. Well, it's funny you should say that. I absolutely thought that Shirley was getting in the TARDIS. Ah. Shirley is in a wheelchair right in front of the newly revealed wheelchair accessible ramp. Yeah. And she's delighted by it that reveal. Yeah. Not led onto the target. No one is led yeah. onto the like, Look at what you could have won. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm still assuming slash hoping that Shirley will uh, join Doc in the TARDIS. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, it's so obviously going to happen. Yeah. yeah. But it, it did seem like an odd reveal to make and then not make use of. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. It's setting up, isn't it? This yeah, whole three fine. episode thing has been set up. So I found a note I made. There's a Marvel-esque theme as we approach Unit HQ. I think I could hear Leon's forehead veins popping <laughs> over in Oxford. Because <laughs> even the music then was less Doctor Who and more. Perhaps they will use this in the Unit spin-off series. Probably. But yeah. I'm saying Unit. I've been saying Unit spin-off series. I just assume there will be a Unit spin-off series. There, there must be. Why would you invest this much time into establishing characters who? have never been established before and then do nothing with them why create a vlinx yeah. suit and not make use of the vlinx in this episode if the vlinx isn't going to return the one thing is they would not be able to treat them so dismissively and so amateurishly every time they come back if we get to know the characters and they actually begin to have nuances and competencies they, they can't just be dumb gun firing morons we see in the trailer for season is this season 15 the next uh, one who knows whatever the next season is the first shooty season yeah we see i know this is looking ahead as well but we get to see rose in unit hq oh and have you not seen this this is the I hey have, but it'll next time on doctor me. who and and presumably it's the same room so presumably the vlinx is going to be there there's going to be a, a whole bunch of unit shenanigans but the joy of doctor who is that the doctor isn't always in present day london the doctor runs across history on earth 
and across time and space in general outside of the Earth. Yeah. But Unit will still be there. They'll have built a nice set. They've established characters, <laughs> do some stuff. wonder if Mel B is going to be in the next season slash in the Unit's Oh, that would be fun. Maybe that's the way to cement it as part of the Hooniverse. What about Oh, Ace you and... think this is bullshit, but Mel B is on it. You should watch it. Okay, fine, I will. You, you've already ensnared me, Disney. I'm going to watch all of this nonsense. <laughs> what, what about Ace and Tegan, who worked there last week? Forgot about that. Yeah, what happened to them? <laughs> well, they're in the probably old gonna, building. They're probably going to show up as well at some point. Yeah, I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they? That's podcast land. Not podcast land. The universe is clamoring for it, including podcast land. And clearly, they're not going to say no to that opportunity. So why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, be three former companions in their own spin-off show. Well, we loved the Five-ish Doctors reboot. So yeah. if that's anything to go by. Yeah, exactly. Also, super quick note, Mel B, not the first redhead of Doctor Who. Oh, really? Yeah, Weisler Turlow was the first redhead. Was this in the black and white era, or could you see the redness of the head? No, this is Davison. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, um, huh. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I have a line here in my notes I've just found that I found it absolutely lovely. Okay. To see the reunion of Tennant and Mel B. Oh, yeah. It was, that was such a sweet moment. It was such a, just a truly beautiful Doctor Who moment. It was well played. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was well played, but it was also a really nice progression for Mel B, who talks about, yeah, she went traveling with Savalon Glitz. She's not, she started star-lording. She basically started star-lording the second Ace stopped star-lording. Yeah. And then at some point just caught a lift with a, what was it called? Zingo caught a lift off a of Zingo and mm. came to Earth and started working for Unit and is now much more savvy about time and space, alien races and all that stuff than she was before. It's really cool. It's very cool. I'm very yeah. happy for her. And was Mel the one in Paradise Towers? Yes. Uh, unrecognizable. I'm going to double check that actually. Sorry. Yes, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can hardly believe that's the same person. And you you and Jim have told me a bit about how her character was messed around and underdone and retconned at various points. And yeah, this character seemed like a person and one that I would be happy to spend more time with. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I agree. So, yeah, I, I assume done... that you will get the chance. Yeah, they finally done right by Mel. It's nice. Yeah. We need to start getting towards the end. We certainly do. How do you think... The new Doctor did. Shooty Gatwa. Fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Well, we barely got to meet Fifteen in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what little we saw. Yeah, he was fabulous. So, at the point of recording this episode, you and I have both seen one episode of Shooty Gatwa as the Doctor. Yeah. The next episode. Yeah, and in the last 15 minutes here, he had to share the screen time with a lot of people. Yeah. And a couple of TARDISes. So far, yeah, seems great. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? He certainly exudes confidence and charisma and self-assuredness. Yeah. There was also perhaps slightly more emotion to it. A little bit more. Not emotion is the wrong word. Positive sentimentality. Because all doctors are sentimental to some degree. But he holds Doc, kisses his head. As in his own. 14s is what I mean. He kisses 14s head. He's... He seems to have a very down-to-earth, for lack of a better expression, human emotional side to him, which is lovely, which is wonderful. Yeah, it was perhaps... No, there were enough interactions to be like, okay, this could be the same character, sure. But yeah, one has clearly 
unburdened himself of a lot. Yeah. Definitely. Well, there's they make, a contrast there. They make a gigantic point of of saying that this is ostensibly a reboot Doctor. This is a new Doctor. Yeah. And by the way, I am fine with that. I'm fine with jettisoning all the Time War grief and self-reproach and stuff. And I think that was actually fairly well done. I think they could have done it without a bi-generation. In the end of The Celestial Toymaker, The Celestial Toymaker is held in suspense because the Doctor won't take the last move. Mm -hmm. So 14, Tennant, could have challenged him to a ball-throwing contest, a catching contest, and just held on to the ball. Yeah. And been like... That's another opportunity. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to my friend finally and stop. Like, I have to stop. I have to stop because otherwise you'll come after me, make me throw this ball. I'm going to go home with her. Home. I can't believe I even said that. Yes, let's make that. I love that the character got to go somewhere that he almost, by definition, couldn't go. I, you mean back to Donna's yeah, place? Back, back to Donna's place and live a life that when we went to Oxcon many years ago, there was a whole lecture, wasn't there, about how it related to that Assyrian epic or whatever it is. Uh, epic of Gilgamesh, is it? Oh, I don't remember this. I think. And how Gilgamesh has a companion and everything, and there were parallels, and they were constantly adventuring, though. they could, The Doctor could never settle and go home. And here he does. And it wasn't perfect. I didn't like that Wilf was off shooting moles. <laughs> I thought he could have been doing any number of other funnier things that involved less cruelty to rodents, but sure. Sure, yeah, that's but, true. Yeah, I thought that Catherine Tate did a great job in that scene of being like, no, come with me. No, come on. Get over that hump. You can do this. We can do this. Differ if you must. But the thing is, I also, I love that ending scene. It's not the ending that I wanted for Tenant. Mm-hmm. Because I, mostly because I never foresaw by generation. I assumed that there would be a regular regeneration and I was expecting a different kind of rounding off of the tenant arc. I think I've talked about this before. The whole, I, I imagine that's what everybody expects. Yeah, certainly. I expected him to do the, okay, I am ready to go. The last time he regenerated, ah. he was like, I, I don't want to go. And now he's, he, I was imagining him saying, yeah, it's time. I am ready. Let's go. And he does, in a sense, he says the... I didn't make this connection myself. This is also from IMDb Trivia. But he does say, Alonzi, let's go. Yeah. So he, he does, in a sense, he says that. He comes to that conclusion. But then the problem that I have with this ending, this episode ending, is that it isn't a conclusion. We were already told in this ending, oh, no, the adventure continues. And therefore, I don't feel like I've had closure yet for tenants. I haven't had closure for 14. Yeah. Because I'm almost anticipating that to come at some point in the future when Tennant is done acting or when Tennant is done playing this role. Maybe for the 70th anniversary, who knows? (laughs) Deliberately leaving as much open as possible. Exactly. And How many markets can we sell this to and how many productions can we mount simultaneously? And that's of, you know, that's the source of at least part of my reticence. That being said, I loved it. It was still beautiful. Yeah. And there's the whole cake having and eating it too, as you said before, with, yeah, Tennant's here and he's putting the work in and he's he's letting off some steam, but he's also going to Mars and New York and everything. And yeah. How is that different, really? Also, he goes back specifically to New York, the Gilded Age, <laughs> where Amy Pond died of old age yeah. because Smith couldn't go there and rescue her. And So I just feel like RTD is just sticking another pin in the canon of old and being like, yeah, I don't care. I just don't care. Do you see how much I don't care about the canon? <laughs> I need you to know that 
I know that you know that I don't care. I don't think that it's that he doesn't care necessarily. I think it's that new rules apply going forward. I think this is... Yeah, but corollary... I'm not saying this is not Doctor Who. That's not at no, no, all no. what I'm saying, Podcast Land, pens down. But I do think entirely new rules apply also. Yeah, but a corollary of that is I don't care about anyone who clings to the old rules. And if you type about it and if you shout about it, fuck you because I'm the showrunner, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Which is fair enough because the Doctor Who showrunners have been catching flack even during great years. And there's always something to criticise. And indeed, we have done. But then we're also trying to say how it could be better. Yeah. We, we don't glory in taking people down a peg. We just think, did it have to be done that way? And a lot of this episode, no, it didn't. Yeah, agreed. I'll just look at my notes. Yeah. I've got a whole bunch of unasked introductory questions. Do any of them involve a mallet? A great big circus mallet? No, please ask away. What if, what if What's to ask about the mallet? <laughs> <laughs> the bi-generated TARDIS. Oh, uh, there's a few more seconds when the toy maker's rules still apply because now RTD is essentially the toy maker writ large and... Yeah, we'll just we'll just bang out another TARDIS. Yeah, that's the dot question mark because potential spin-off. Yeah. Now there are two TARDISes. Why are there two TARDISes? There don't need to be two TARDISes, except if that second TARDIS is going to travel somewhere. And as you said, they're, they're keeping their options open. You never know. Yeah. I did, of course, as everybody will have done, that he said sorry. Yeah. So that's, that's the lovely. TARDIS that he smashed. First time that Shooty is addressing his TARDIS. That's lovely. It's a lovely scene. And I am glad that the mallet didn't just smash a giant hole in his... Oh, whoops. I guess I was late. I <laughs> <laughs> guess I got that one wrong. I'm new to this. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was silly to think that I could just bi-generate a TARDIS at the same time. I didn't realise that none of the old rules, that <laughs> any of the old rules still applied. Like... Yeah. You get everything and a jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the jukebox, by the way. I don't care about the jukebox. I like the shooty theme, and we heard more of it in the Christmas episode, but the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da kind of... It's mischievous. It makes me think of a squirrel scampering around, and he's wide-eyed, and he's capering. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, good. I'm very glad. Just to say about the jukebox, it's that I'm not a huge fan of musical episodes of shows that aren't musicals themselves. It's Uh great if you have one episode that's a musical episode. We already know that there's going to be a Beatles musical episode. Or musical-ish episode. Buffy had a fantastic musical episode. Lots of episode, lots of shows have a great musical episode, but that's the one musical episode. Yeah. Now we have a jukebox. In the next episode, next week, two weeks from now, whenever we review that, there's a musical number. There was a musical number in this one. How did I forget that? Yes, of course there is. There's a jukebox in the TARDIS now. I bet you there's going to be musical numbers, or there are going to be musical numbers in the TARDIS now. I can almost guarantee you that there will be singing in the TARDIS. Why else would you have a fucking jukebox? You would have something else there. Capaldi had his bookcases. Other people had, like, pipes and whatever, honking horns. Whatever they might have been. But in this case... (laughs) There's a jukebox. That's the only thing in the entire TARDIS. There's a jukebox. I bet you there are going to be musical numbers in there. Yeah. And that's adding a different dimension to the show that I'm, I'm personally not a huge fan of. And I'm, I say that as someone who loves musicals. Maybe they can pull it off. Let's hope that it just doesn't end up being dead air and wasted time. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Because that's what we fear. But they may surpass our expectations. Yeah. Okay. Can I rattle off 
uh, three or four questions. Otherwise, you'll be carrying these around. And then let's just let's yeah. round, us if, round off this episode. We'll figure it out. They call 15 the older doctor in this episode. Indeed. At this point, shouldn't 14 and 15 be, be exactly as old? No, because this comes back to the, your question at the beginning. I know that 14 will probably regenerate into some other 15, maybe. Um, but 15 hasn't had a chance to travel elsewhere, spend lots of time there, come back after a shorter interval of time. The, 15 hasn't traveled anywhere. Yeah. So 15 has bi-generated alongside 14. They've now passed exactly as much time since the bi-generation. No one has traveled anywhere. Surely they've aged exactly as much. I'm revisiting my answer from the beginning, which is that 14 has died. And this 14 that's left will regenerate into the one 15 that will exist until that 15 dies. And then the second 15 goes off as number 16 is generated into. So 14, hundreds of years from now, and this is why they didn't have Tennant's whole life mapped out ahead, because he would have highlanded the whole bunch of them. Donna, Rose, I suppose the line ends there. But yeah, anyone after that who he hangs around with, like hundreds of years later, he's got to hobble back to the top of the unit building like ancient Smith on a planet called Christmas. Yeah. And yeah, just get into position. But then he's got to go back in time to do it. Oh, it's so messy. Yeah. Uh. Emphasis on this. It's italicized and underlined <laughs> and bold. Uh, Command uh, B-I-U. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And red font enlarged. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I've answered that really well. What you got next? How do you feel about Kegel's lowballing Donna on the job offer? <laughs> well, I did make a note about that because like 120,000 and five weeks holiday. We all get five weeks holiday. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Buddy. <laughs> this is only amazing to Americans who are to a statutory, statutory two weeks holiday. Exactly. But I was thinking this is the wrong audience for it. Anyone in the UK is going to go, why did you not increase the holiday yeah. as well? Like surely 10 weeks. 10 weeks sounds exactly. great. You're doubling your salary, double your holiday as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. But that being said, Kegels was perfectly... Pr she started off by by thinking, <laughs> yeah. I have a budget. It's not coming out of my pocket. I'm not paying Donna's salary, but I do have a budget. Yeah. We're already paying the old people's home care home costs for Wilf. Yeah. If I got made of money. I'll give you 60k and, in brackets, no holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're a global organisation, so whichever country in the world has the least holiday, that's your entitlement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Donna's actually, double my pay, and do I'm not done yet, and the legal minimum <laughs> paid <Yeah>. leave. <laughs> UK, UK legal minimum. Yeah, the okay. country we're hovering above right now. <laughs> yeah. But I still liked it. I still liked Donna just being like, yeah, double it. And Kegel's like, sure. Done. Yeah. yeah. That's great. It was a, yeah. Pa, 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 pa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that means Donna will be in the spin-off, by yep. the way. Watching every second of it, even if it runs for 12 years. So will I, by the way. Oh, good. I absolutely will. Get around to reviewing Torchwood in the end, podcast land. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong. Hey, la, 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 la. Ratings. What is there to say? <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of this episode, and I'm, I, I truly am so sorry. So sorry, because I know that so many of you out there in podcast land love it, and so many of you love NPH, and love the new unit, and love 
what the actual F is it the the links and the wall niche. <laughs> I feel like I just took a mallet to the TARDIS of Yehuvianism, and I am yeah. truly sorry for that, my dear friends out there in podcast land. It's just that there's so much here that doesn't quite work for me, as I think possibly the last two hours of our conversation has, uh, have attested to. So I'll, I'll blitz through this because I think at least in theory we should have be beholden to the same mini-review rules as the rest of the universe. And as I said, we've just been talking about this dumpster fire for two hours. First bullet point, Doc. We didn't say this, but one of my unused notes is Tennant is almost constantly acting at an extreme here. Ah. And I'm not necessarily phrasing that super well, but you know that Tennant level of acting where he bares his teeth and he... Clenches his jaw. Clenches his jaw and adopts a lisp and everything's just so bloody unfair because why? Why, damn it? Your voice is with me! That's exactly, you've just nailed it. That's exactly what I mean. He's, he's constantly there in this episode, except possibly for the very, very end. The other doc, Judy, is terrific. And holy moly, total non sequitur. I really need to join a gym and not miss out on leg day. But we don't really get to meet him properly here, so I'll save my judgment for later. The companions, well, Donna delivers a reserved performance here, which is not unappreciated. And Mel B is lovely. Seeing Mel B again is lovely, I should say. The Foe, again, I'm so sorry, fans of Neil Patrick Harris and of this iteration of the Toymaker, but I thought NPH's version of him was utter unadulterated dog shot. <laughs> was he not everything you could be Gavantan? <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, I fucking hate this Toymaker. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it is... It, and Neil Patrick Harris's Toymaker in an episode about the Toymaker is the low point of the episode for me. I hate this Toymaker. He doesn't feel like the actual Toymaker to me. NPH's delivery of that Toymaker is only good in snippets here and there. It doesn't feel like it's the same character. I don't understand the accent. It's fucking dumb. I don't get any of him here. For details, please review the last two hours of this podcast. Not a fan. I'm very sorry. I'll add unit to the mix of bullet points as well, only because I'm probably downrating this episode because of it. Cheap, dumb, dare I say it, Disney. Not a fan again. Sorry. And I say that, by the way, as a person who met John Levine at a Comic-Con and was dumbstruck and starstruck and Mm. tongue-tied. Thunderstruck. (laughs) And basically teary-eyed with adoration. All three, I'm sure. To the point where John Levine had to get up and hug me because I I couldn't speak to the man. (laughs) I I couldn't speak. Brilliant. That's how much I love units. Yeah. And I don't recognize the unit that I love in the unit of this episode. What I see here is S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's not the same thing. I'm sorry. This is, in fact, not even the same unit that I saw hints of in The Star Beast. This is already a progression of that in a Disney-fied direction that I'm not a huge fan of. Anyway, production value looks great. Looks Marvel-us, in fact. Yeah. Greatest asset, Tenant and Mel Reunion, no doubt. Biggest flaw, lack of toy makerisms. Main takeaway, I haven't actually written anything there. Whatever. I've given this a rating of... Ugh, 2.2. Oh, so your takeaway was 2.8. Wait, what? From 5.0. Oh, <laughs> yeah, nice. Fun <laughs> with arithmetic. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Unfortunately, this is way more shits than giggles. <laughs> <laughs> what a start. Oh, my God. All right. And, and I speak as someone who loved both the first two episodes of Flux, which started like a hyperglycemic hurricane. Doctor Who 
can be fun and clever. It can be on a Disney budget, but not Disney. It doesn't have to be fun and as dumb as possible. So much of this rips off the power of the Doctor. Mel in place of Tegan and Ace. Spice up your life in place of Ra Rasputin. The Toymaker is a, just another implacable agent of pure chaos like Dewan's master, but without even the nihilism that made that master occasionally interesting. So what's changed, I ask you? This toy maker has very little personality, much less than the original, who was always on about winning. The one interesting part was when Tennant was tempting him to go across the cosmos and become celestial. And he'd fallen in love with humanity's games. Blocks falling onto other blocks. Tetris, I assume. Mind games. That was like a minute out of 60, which Neil Patrick Harris gurned and gooned his way entirely across i was like everybody else really looking forward to him and i get that he's the face that has now launched a thousand memes but that's not my market i just feel like exactly like the sea devils another classic foe we've been waiting to return for 50 years has been desecrated and this is despite it being neil patrick harris so it's quite a feat He's just banished from existence also. Is that permanent? Is this all we get? Yeah, I guess I don't want this again, but what a shame. And I said how he was just a series of pronouncements of scale. He's come back from a long time ago. He's a big bad, but not as big as the big bad who waits. Ooh. Add on to that, he's the most infuriating series of unfunny bits and bad accents, and I start to feel quite personally attacked. And then the other, the unforgivable thing is Doctor Who has infinite possibilities, and this episode, it's all about throwing off the shackles, but it wears so many others so heavily and acts completely innocent. It seems disingenuous almost, and much of the new is just, as you've said, Marvel-toned confetti. 14 being put out to pasture wasn't something anyone thought was even possible. And I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was set up well last week. And then there was a really good bit this week where Donna asks why Doc never mentioned Mel before. And we've seen this all before. It's a retread, isn't it? We're used to companions feeling insecure about their place in Doc's life and didn't know how many he'd had beforehand. But this isn't Donna. And she's not doing that. She is above that and she is driving at the deeper problem. And then ultimately that's why she's the one that he can go home with and they can work it all out. And I thought over the last two episodes, especially, Catherine Tate has just been stellar. I really liked Mr. Brexit. Not me. I've always been right. <laughs> Love that section. Although the plane crash was a bit stupid because what kind of trained pilot thinks he can land anywhere? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's not being right. That's just, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And I also think we said hide and seek the original game. I thought it would have been more fun and imaginative and had more potential the doctor could have tried to hide in the best hiding places in the universe they could have been outlandish possibilities from doctor who's history they could just have indicated that this is still a gigantic infinite universe he could try being out of phase reversing the polarity whatever he pops up in house from the doctor's wife and the toy maker appears and says this veiling is so small i want a bigger playhouse to be built." <laughs> and then houses exploded and the toy makers all over it and he goes to the end of the universe. The toy maker takes a few extra seconds before arriving and then says, Ah, Ish, have already met like seven of the years. This was the best idea yet, but I have still found you. And on they go. He pops up in Riversong's Stepford Wife death program and then the internet really blows up. But how I feel about this episode can be summed up in one tiny little section, which is when the doctor 
is recognizing the toy maker in Mr. Emporium's what is it? Why is it Mr. Emporium, by the way? Why is it not Mr. Something's Emporium or just the Toy Emporium? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just led to con- some confusion. But yes, the this is the moment we've all been waiting for. It's been trailed so heavily for the last year. Oh, but he's recognising me. We've seen that many times. We can't wait for it. And you see it all over Tennant's face, and you're like, holy shit, this is a next-level beatdown. And the next line is, are you not pleased here, Doctor? And it's like, that just flaccidated me in one fell swoop. <laughs> if that can be... <laughs> that word could be coined for precisely this occasion. And that's how I feel overall. The stuff where... Tenant is moving on from endlessly running around the same old corridors, always trying to save the companion. They hint at it, but they don't run with it fully. And so it almost seems like an accident. <sighs> so. Here we go. If a bi-generation splits every doctor away so they all survive, 14 doesn't need therapy. Jodie will have had hers retrospectively, if it works retrospectively. That's a good point. So. Yeah, it undoes itself. Yeah. So I just feel this is uneven, it's broad, it's plagiaristic. The two Doctors, they do fine. Catherine Tate, the strongest part, brings it home. We talked about other positives, 1.9. That is a fair rating. But I'm sure there are some more fair ratings which we are yet to encounter. Oh, you don't say! Let's explore what Podcastland has to say. Now let's hear from Podcastland. Max to 50, or it would get out of hand. Kablamatron podcast land. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. You're still listening. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Right. Here we go. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven minis today. Thank you very much if you sent one in. Thank you very much if you didn't and you're just listening. That's totally fine. Don't worry about it. It's the thought that counts. Here we go. First three in their full splendor. First out the gate, it's Bob Balderdash. Hello, Bob. Sup, Bob? Bob, by the way, has been an absolutely spiffing Bob and has submitted not one, but two versions of his mini. One which is abridged to 250, which we will read here, and one which is available in full on whobackone.com. Lovely. Thank you very much, Bob. Bob starts. Positives. Fantastic music in this one, especially for the regeneration scene. Great humour in this episode. Doctor, with all the seriousness in the world, saying, best of three. (laughs) Hey. And Donna destroying the dolls. Ah, man. (laughs) Next positive. Great special effects. Loved the house and the toy maker folding up. That was actually beautiful. I mean, production value is absolutely off the chart. It's ridiculously professional at this point. Yeah, that whole camera swoop and inversion when they're looking at each other just about to push oh man i i saw a sorry 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 to interrupt bob i saw i didn't watch the whole thing but i saw a teeny tiny snippet like the very first minute of a behind the scenes of this episode yeah and it showed the cannon the whatever it was called the cannon in stock tower okay yeah and the galvanic beam that was that's what it was called and what that set looked like the cannon was there. Hey, wow. And it was in a blue screen set. Like, it was just surrounded by blue screen. Hmm. So that's just a composition of so many different bits of... I mean, it, yeah. obviously it's a composition because they didn't build a stock tower for this episode. But yeah, it's, above London. But it, above <laughs> the shards. <laughs> but the just the view of that blue screen set looked 
so far removed from the completely pitch black garage of classic who with a few cardboard boxes covered in a sheet <laughs> yeah it's progressed a bit or, or the green screen shed of doctor who confidential there you go <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry back to the mini yeah <laughs> Really sweet conversations between the Doctor and Donna concludes Bob's positives. That's a fine set of positives. It really is. Very, very fine indeed. Uh, Right, Bob continues with some negatives and concerns. In brackets. Sorry, there are so many. In brackets. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Wow, my throat. Okay. First negative, while I'm happy to see Mel, she could have literally been anyone in this episode. No action she performed was unique to her. That is true, and it actually uh, goes hand in hand with what you said about there was an opportunity to have someone who is computer savvy <laughs> yeah, to do something. Yeah, Donna's already doing plenty. She doesn't also need to, she doesn't need the typist thing called back. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. Yeah, it, fair point, Bob. Fair mm. point. Bob's second fair point is, please explain the links. Bob, I think you'll yeah. find Series 2, Episode 4 will do a fine <laughs> job of that. <laughs> yeah, here's our friend who agrees with us. Next negative, the Chibnall-level subtlety of the social media analogy. This was handled so lazily. They went with tell when the episode started great with show. Yeah, and verged on <laughs> rant. <laughs> It seems unlikely, continues Bob, that in nearly a century, no one has noticed the effect of that arpeggio. I think I got that horribly wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That arpeggio. Oh, fuck, I can't do it. (laughs) We didn't really talk about that arpeggio, but uh, yeah, it's not just that. It's also the recognition of it. Because I'm not necessarily opposed to the presence of that plot, but it's the discovery of it by Donna in, wait, hang on, let me draw some lines and let's put this diagram. I, who cares about dimensions? Let's just put some lines on the screen and, oh, wait, this is these are musical notes. What? Yeah. What? It's not over the intervening decades any opera singer tuning up before a show has gone insane and started... <laughs> castigating her, her cast no, members and absolutely like, not oh weird yeah next negative that terrible puppet effect wait which terrible puppet do you mean the one with what's his face Banerjee on the wall i'm gonna guess that it's the stooky babbies coming down from above and one's mouth just goes ah. you're supposed to be scared of that okay i still thought that was a little bit creepy to be honest but that's mostly because i think puppets are scarier yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bob's next is the game of catch was so anticlimactic and devoid of tension. It's like we've just expanded his review into our episode. Uh, yeah, agreed. Bob continues. Where's the? Where are the shoes? Where are the pants? Why does no one care? Vicky No Pants must be furious. Docky No Pants is that what we're calling him? <laughs> Tennant clearly was not wearing pants because Shooty was wearing the pants because they're both like Shooty's wearing the shoes. Tennant is barefoot. Similarly, by the way, it did strike me that at no point Shooty puts on trousers. Like, why doesn't he put on trousers? Hmm. It must be cold, if nothing else. And Tennant doesn't <laughs> put on shoes, even at the very end, even when the two, not the very end, but when the two Tardises appear. Yeah. He's still barefoot. <laughs> Time has passed. He must be uncomfortable. Give the man some slippers, if nothing else. Yeah. And also, if that's how a bi-generation works, does that mean that... They've got half of each other's clothes in each TARDIS. 
That is, yeah, that's a good point. The tortoises, <laughs> is it, is it the, a good point? The tortoises aren't identical because one of them has the a jukebox. jukebox. Exactly. So yeah. they must be different to at least some extent. The thing is, ultimately, this is a nitpicky question. And RTD's answer, we've, cl- we've seen, is just going to be, it is what it is. It's whatever mm. I want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So fine. You know, Nothing matters anymore. Yeah. Why? Right. Why engage at all? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I object to. Why engage at all? You've you've had your sugar rush now. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. One more negative. Go yep. on. RTD alludes to way too many ominous villains. We've been foreshadowed of the one who waits, the master, the toy makers' legions. Oh yes. You're yes. Right. And lest we forget the Meep's boss. Who was left suitably vaguely alluded to. Yeah. Could in fact be either one of the aforementioned. Could be, yeah. Yeah. In short, says Bob, despite all the negatives, this was a really fun episode. And Bob awards this episode 4.05 vague enemies out of five. Okay, there's a twist. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Thank you very much, Bob Balderdash. Who's next? Next up, we have Isaac. Hello, Isaac. Doop-a-doop-doop. Isaac. Doop-a-doop-doop. Isaac. Isaac begins. Like with the Grand Serpent, the toy maker feels like they are in a role originally written for the master. Mm. That's what I said. Mm. Grand scale hypnosis. A grudge against unit. Ooh. <laughs> a dance number. Silly voices. Thoughtless killing. Yeah, this is a very well-constructed argument. Yeah. It's only in the middle of the best bit where we get some proper toy makery stuff. And it's wunderbar. <laughs> the music is great. And NPH is so good in the role. Oh, no. I agree to disagree. Isaac continues, haven't got anything to say about by generation. It's fine, though if someone has to go on the one show to explain it, then it's probably not written very clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Intentionally, surely. It would have been much better, says Isaac, if the final challenge against the Toymaker had had some dialogue in it, Mm. some back and forth, some confidence and swagger to put the Toymaker off his game. I sound so negative here, but it wasn't bad. It was fun. Isaac continues with some points. A laser powerful enough to take out a satellite doesn't do that much damage when it's aimed inwards at a window or the doctor. This is why I wanted to ask that question as one of my introductory questions. Uh, it, it blows the crap out of a satellite. He fires at some windows and it creates a dent in the building. It smashes the windows and there is a now a crater in, in Stock Tower. He fires it at the doctor. The beam goes through him. We yeah. see it penetrate Doc. He turns off the beam, and there's no hole in the dock. It's not like dock has been lasered through and through. How how does it even, like, what? How does it work? Is there even a hole in the building behind him where that laser is aimed for several seconds? No. Good no. point. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, well. Next bullet point. I love that 15's equivalent of 10's wooden console hammer is a cartoonishly large Harley Quinn sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Sure. Mel, the first red-headed companion. I will not stand for Turlo in Asia. Here's my friend who agrees with me. Amy Pwond? Is that what he says? I think so. I only just got that. Right. Amy Pwond? <laughs> Interesting choice for the Doctor to show off a new disability access ramp for the TARDIS in front of a wheelchair user and not then let them Ka-ching. in. Here's our friend who agrees with us. Yeah. That was a that was an odd choice. And last bullet point, did they tease Sutek? I hope so. Uh, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Classic Who serial. One of my favorites. I'm pretty sure I gave this one 5.0, by the way. Okay. Uh, Pyramids of Mars. Ah. Tom Baker serial. Sutek is this... 
tremendous alien foe who looks like a an Egyptian god. Yeah, was presumably uh, mistaken for one at some point by ancient Egyptians. Ah, a la Stargate, and I cannot for the life of me think of how Sutik was teased here. How wait? How was Sutik teased here, Isaac? Hmm. Nope, can't think of it. <laughs> Did Sutek have legions? No, he wouldn't have been. Oh, I don't know. Sutek was by himself on Mars, as I recall now. I probably have. Is that it? Is Sutek it because... has robot mummies. It's so Is that because amazing. Tenant went to Mars with Rose? Oh, maybe. But if so, we're not going to see it. Did Did Tenant say? T- did Tenant or Rose say anything about what they encountered on Mars? No. Huh. Holy smokes, Isaac, I really hope that you're right and Sudik was teased because I really would love to see Sudik return. Hmm. Anyway, nice. does Isaac conclude his mini in any way? Yeah, it was pretty good. Not spectacular or anything. It was nice. Hmm. 3.0. 3.0, wow. People who know Isaac, please follow Isaac online. Isaac can be found at Ms. Monster Adams. <laughs> Isaac. <laughs> Thank you very much, Isaac. Who's next? Well, next up, it's Kieran Evans. Hello, Kieran. Sup, Kieran. Kieran starts, hi, folks. So having finally watched it after my laptop decided it was a great time to play up Bloody Aces, <laughs> I thought it was good. I don't know quite what I was expecting. I <laughs> read the leak about the by generation the other week, so that wasn't a surprise. I'm not sure about it. If Tenen gets a shit ton of spin-off appearances from it, I'll be annoyed. He's not my favourite post-2005 Doctor, and he seems to hog the limelight. And that ending was very Journey's End slash End of Time, previous RTD finales that I have opinions on, dot dot dot. Kieran continues, the rest of the plot was interesting, and plenty of good set pieces. Interesting that the Master tried his luck with the Toymaker, and presumably will be back with that hand picking up the tooth at the end. Generally, Kieran had a good time, but thinks it doesn't quite ha- all hang together. Though shooty looks good. 3.5 out of 5. Ka-ching! Thank you very much, Kieran. And people who are not Kieran and may or may not be sick and tired of petrol-driven vehicles and... Oh, they've had their day. Absolutely! Do you need to drive a box somewhere? Don't settle for a car. Get a van and get a an e-van, in fact. E-van better! <laughs> Head on over to KJ Evans 2 for all your Evan needs. Thank you very much, Kieran. You know what comes next, podcast land. Snip, snippity, snip. And the first to be snipped is Chris. Hello, Chris. Chris says, oh, I don't know. Let's give it four stars and hope this all pays off in the future, amongst other snips. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. For the mini and its full splendor, head on over to whobackone.com. Read it there. Thank you very much, Chris. Who's next? Next snip is Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hi, Andy. <laughs> wow, you cranked it up to 12. <laughs> Andy adds some likes, some beef, some snips, and concludes with, wow, I've really enjoyed these specials, and I'm so excited for Trudy's era. I award this story 4.6 Mad Auntie Mel's out of 5. <laughs> Holy moly, Andy, your ginormous heart needs a cardiologist's attention ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous stuff. People of podcast land, head on over to whobackwhen.com. You know the drill. And if you're not Andy, say hi to Andy online. He can be found at Caffrey's 71. The 71 what? The numerals. Correctamundo. Yeah. Andy. Who's next? Why, next up we have... Trace it from America. 
Hello, Tracy. Sup, Tracy. After a collection of Tracy's thoughts, her rating is make way for shooty. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff in Tracy's rating. It's a shame to snip it. It's really difficult. Yeah, Tracy, you don't make our job of snipping easy. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast Land, you absolutely must go to whobackwhen.com and read this in its full splendor. For its splendor is full indeed. And splendorific to the max. And once you've read it... Please say hi to Tracy online. Say hi from us as well. Tracy can be found at... Yekatnyatnuf. That's found in Tracy. Backwards, almost. Thanks, Tracy. Who's last? While last, it's... Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Wow, it's like weave by generative. Just (laughs) synchronizing all over the place. Push, dude. Push. I've got no pants. (laughs) I'm going commando. (laughs) Wait, are you? Don't answer that. We've got a mini to snip. Hello, Michael. Michael adds a list of likes and a list of beefs and concludes with a rating of 4.5 4.5 out of 5 unit soldiers contributing to the ball pool and the children's crash on level 4. <laughs> I did love that, by the way. When, is it Mel? Mel picks up one of the balls and it's just a unit soldier screaming at her. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah, really that good. almost got lost in the mix, but that's a fun little image. That is hilarious. And I'd like to second Michael's boo death. Boo. <laughs> About poor old Bernie Cribbins. Oh, yes. Oh, goodness, yes. Michael, thank you very much. People who are not Michael, you know the drill. Head on over. Who back when I come? Full Splendor. Also, please head on over to at bad. Underscore it. Movie. Underscore it. Club. <laughs> <laughs> Und say hi to Michael from us. Yes, danke so much, Michael. Oh, danke. Oh, so groß. <laughs> <laughs> ich liebe dich, Michael. Oh, oh. <laughs> es gibt nicht einmal Platz. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <What? laughs> Apart from you, what have we got coming up next? Uh, <laughs> next up, we have a bonus episode. It will be the 14th Doctor retrospective. Oh, my goodness. Of course we will. Oh, my goodness. We must. In which all of the... Uh, people will have listened to two hours. Two, oh, holy fuck. Two and a half hours. I'll edit it down. <laughs> yeah. they'll, they'll have, Especially oh. that five minutes there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. People would have listened to two-ish hours of us talking about this episode. Hopefully. And missing, yeah, hopefully, and missing out on a lot of 14th Doctor, maybe 14th slash 15th slash by generation slash where does the 10th fit in kind of dialogue. Ah. The 14th Doctor retrospective is going to cover that ground, so be sure to catch that episode. After that, we're back in New Who territory with what? The Church on Ruby Road. Ah, Yes. Going to be a good one. I have had an incredibly energetic (laughs) evening. (laughs) What a soiree. Holy moly, what a soiree it's been. Yes. Dare we tell Podcast Land where they can contact us in the meantime? Yeah, you're available where we're all available. Where is that? That's at whobackwhen at gmail.com. And at whobackwhen on Twitter slash X. Yeah. Whatever you call it nowadays. You can find me as well on on Twitter slash X. I'm at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N. If you have a specific problem with Leon. Or a specific adulator comment i would take that yeah yeah until the next time podcast lands thank you so much for your patience your understanding 
And for lending us your earballs, you've been an absolutely wonderful audience, as you're one to be. Rock on, be rad and excellent to each other, and cha-chao. Bye, generation, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to, and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hooray! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?